I'm Betsy Reed, and this is The Discomfort Practice, where I talk to creatives, activists, leaders, scientists, and a host of others about discomfort, about the role it's played in their lives, who they are and what they do in the world, and the value of discomfort in helping us move forward as a society. Discomfort is just the edge of your comfort zone, and on the other side are superpowers. So settle yourself in, and let's get uncomfortable. Welcome to the Discomfort Practice, and I'm always excited about each of my guests because they are special, spectacular, and exciting people. And so I'm just going to go ahead and introduce my next guest. Reja Mikanas Pouncey was born in Boston, Massachusetts, but now lives in Oregon, so she's gone coast to coast. She's the youngest of three children and was raised by her father, who was a man of many modalities, being an activist, acupuncturist, Reiki master, and astrologer, as well as a member of, wait for it, the Black Panthers. Not what people expected from the average African-American man in the 1970s. Her mother's side is Puerto Rican, and Reja holds many identities within herself. Colonizer and colonized, mixed race, Black, Latina, which gives her rich perspective and broad, deep heritage. Reja knew early on that spiritual work was part of her path, long before her father initiated her into Palo Cambisa, a spiritual tradition originating in Africa, which syncretized with Catholicism. And at the age of 23, Reja was initiated into this. We'll talk about this more because I'm dying to know more about it. I did some research and was like, the more research I did, the more I realized I didn't know anything about it. So this is something we will touch on. She holds a master's degree in mental health counseling and has worked as a spiritual coach, mentor, and light worker since 2003, all while being a full-time mother of six, <laughs> the youngest of which is very young and the oldest of which is all grown up. So she's full into raising a very small child now and going back into that, which is a very different life, right? She runs Mystical Healing Guide, which brings together all the strands of her personal journey to serve as a mentor, spiritual development and life coach to others to support them in reaching their highest timeline and frequency. So we're having this conversation today because I heard Reja on another podcast, Earthspeak. And even before I had finished the podcast, I was sitting down listening to the podcast and emailing her because I just felt this urge to be in touch with her. And I know enough to listen to these things. So I reached out and she has been wonderfully accommodating as we weaved our way through the holiday period of the end of 21, beginning of 2022. And here we are. So she was talking on Earthspeak about dark nights of the soul. And I thought, what better time to talk about dark nights of the soul than in the midst of a pandemic? And also, obviously, we're talking having exited one year and entered the next. And this is winter. It when a lot of people just cocoon or do sometimes face a dark night of the soul. So we'll talk about this because obviously so much is going on on our planet, in our society, in each of us, as we become more conscious, as we kind of are forcefully, forcibly stripped of the things that are familiar and comfortable to us that Actually, this is a really necessary part of our growth to understand the beauty and the value of dark nights of the soul. And I like that term, actually. It's very poetic. It's kind of juicy. You can get your teeth into it. But it's also something that maybe people tend to avoid. So I want to talk about it as something not to be avoided, as something that is a valuable part of a discomfort practice. So let's just dive right in and talk about Reja, her background, how she has become who she is, what she sees in the world. And yeah, I think we have a lot to talk about. So welcome, Reja. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me, Betsy. So I warned you. <laughs> I always <laughs> warn everybody. And hopefully you've had a moment to think about this question. But I always ask everyone the same first question, which is, mm. what's an uncomfortable moment that's shaped who you are and what mm. you do in the world? Well, I've had many uncomfortable moments. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll say the one that sticks out the most is, I, I always call it my first midlife crisis. And that was when I was 14. <laughs> really? 
And so maybe not midlife. (laughs) Even quarter life, hopefully. Yeah. Right. Quarter life um, crisis. But yeah, I was very angry as a young teenage girl. And I was not happy with, I, I wanted this picturesque life. And my life was that at times, but not that always. And I was angry at my parents. I wanted them to get it right. I was angry at myself. I didn't like the world in which I was in. I wanted love. I wanted to be loved, like loud and big and celebrated. And the world around me didn't reflect that, whether it was the friends I chose, the you know, boyfriends starting to date and figure that out. My parents were separated at a very young age. I had some health issues and I was just very angry and sad and had to have a surgery really early on. I had a ruptured cyst on one of my ovaries. Mm. And so it's like that the divine feminine kind of like having a dark night of the soul, having like a, a purge, but a very real one in my physical body. And I just remember waking up from that thinking, I don't want to be this unhappy. I don't want to be this sad and this angry. And because I knew underneath the anger was a lot of pent up sadness about a lot of things that had happened. And so that was my first uncomfortable moment. I mean, I've had many, (laughs) like I said before that. Because I life. Right. I mean, yeah, I remember being, I don't know, two, three, four years old and looking at a a piece of lint and thinking on a blanket and thinking, I want to be that piece of lint because this world is way too loud and way too big and chaotic. And I don't want to be here. I remember being that young and having that thought. So yeah, many discomforts. But this one at 14 was pretty big because it was the one that I decided to not feel like a victim of my circumstance and to make some conscious change and positive change about the way I lived my life, who I surrounded myself with, my goals, where I wanted to be, you know, my happiness, making it a choice that I was going to pick up every day and and walk with. So yeah, I think I would say that was the first kind of pivotal one. Yeah. Wow, 14 is young, but also not really that young. I I think about when I was 14 and some of the major things that I now am come from that age. When you start to really start to know yourself, you step out of childhood into young adulthood. So then we're going to talk about, let's go straight into Dark Nights of the Soul because it builds on that. And what's a Dark Night of the Soul besides that? Because I imagine there have been a few, as there have been for all of us. What's a Dark Night of the Soul that has changed your path? I mean, it could be recent. It could be a long time ago. but Something that you now hold dear because of where it steered you and because you understand how it kind of midwifed you into your purpose. Yeah, I love the way you say midwifed because it is a birthing process. It's the discomfort of the in-between, right? You're not in the world that you were in because you know you had to exit it, whether you wanted to or not. It's pushing you out. And you're not quite in the new space either. You're in the birth canal. It's really tight. It's really uncomfortable. You don't quite know who you're going to be at the end of this. You don't have the things that you had in the womb as far as like the soft, cozy floatiness of the amniotic fluid. And, you know, you're just getting all your needs met and you're held and it's comfortable and it's safe. Right. We're exiting that. And it's like kind of violent and harsh. And like, yeah, it's like then you're in this whole new world and you've got these limbs and everything's floppy and you know, how are you going to make it all work, right? So it's definitely a, a, a birthing for sure. And that's the beauty of it, the discomfort, the beauty of the discomfort, I would say. And I think, so one big one for me that was pivotal. So I, I always knew my purpose. I wasn't one of these people that had to discover it, which, you know, no judgment. We all have our paths. I just knew from a very young age who I was and what I was supposed to do and be but I ran from it, right? I was like, well, nobody's doing this. Nobody's embracing their authenticity. And when I didn't have words for that, but that's what I was doing, nobody, I wasn't accepted, right? Everybody was like, you're weird. You're not like us. And I, and that's really hard when you're, you know, nine years old, 14 years old, Uh 20 years old, right? These pivotal ages where we want to be a part of society and we want to fit in and we want to be accepted. And 
I didn't have acceptance. And so I looked to my sister who was, she's two years older than me and she's like a straight A student. And she, you know, worked hard. She had the same job. She worked at an insurance company for like 18 years. And, you know, yeah. So she had the 401k and I was like, well, I'm going to do that. That seems to work. And everybody loves my sister. And I seem to be, you know, the, the, the quote unquote black sheep of the family. And, you know, I'm going to do what she did. It worked for her. So I went to nursing school and, you know, stopped playing with my crystals and my tarot cards and, you know, the astrology and, you know, meditation and following my intuition. Stopped doing all of that and went to nursing school, became a nurse, got the big house and the nice car and the vacations and the 401k and mm. you know, did all of the things and was married for 10 years, had a blended family, but I was hiding uh, my unhappiness. I was hiding the fact that my husband was an alcoholic, the fact that it was really, really hard to be a part of a blended family. And I was deeply, deeply depressed and unhappy. And again, I got sick. So this mm-hmm. is the theme for my body is when I'm not following my authentic path, my soul's journey, my body gets sick. And so this was another period of sickness. And I had developed an autoimmune disease and I was in the hospital for 15 days and they didn't know what was wrong with me. And so they pumped me full of all kinds of medications and drugs and it made it worse. And by the time I exited the hospital, my body was very weak. I was on lots of medications. I could barely walk and I couldn't go back to nursing. And so it was all taken from me. Everything that was propping up the lie, right? The scaffolding of the the non-truth. And it all fell. And I was severely depressed and sad for a long time because I had to now face the truth that I had to get a divorce. I had to unravel myself from a very unhealthy partnership and a very unhealthy lifestyle of not following who I was and not being, you know, my whole self. And it led me back home. So I'm living in the Pacific Northwest. It led me back to Florida. I was introduced to plant medicine and I was drinking ayahuasca regularly. I mean, every weekend for two years. Wow. Yeah. From, let's see, 2016 to 2018. We're definitely going to have to dive into that next, but yes. Yeah. And it was, talk about uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable because there was so much that I had stuffed down that it had to really push out of me, purge out of me, release out of me so that my heart could open again. And so it was just crying. And I mean, the ugly cry with the snot and the tears, (laughs) messy hair and the swollen face and for two years. (laughs) Yeah. Just to be able to heal in a way that was sustainable, that was authentic. And that meant that I could for better or worse, embrace myself in every step that I took from that point on. So that was a huge dark night of the soul moment. Yeah. And actually that midwifing metaphor, I didn't know the story you were going to tell, but it is like being shot out of the birth canal when actually you just want to climb back into the womb and then you realize, no, you can't go back to that because it's not a place that you can grow. But wow, I guess that just made me think about the process you have to go through when you have let go of or stepped away from yourself yeah. so much, when you've disassociated yourself from your purpose and your truth and your authenticity, it takes a lot of work to get back to it. And I think that's useful yeah. for people to remember. It's not going to be easy, but that's not a reason not to do it. Yeah. So I yeah. didn't know ayahuasca was going to come up. Yeah. And I think actually, since I'm in a progressive discomfort practice of outing myself on the internet about just exactly who I am and the kind of things that I, I do. So I'm about to go on my second ayahuasca retreat ever. Yay. The last one was, yeah, I was sort of, I had my eat, pray, love moment end of 2019 after I got divorced. No, beginning of 2019, 2018, 2019. And I did it wow. between Christmas and New Year and I'm about to go on another one. But I avoided it 
for the same reason a lot of people say they avoid it. They're like, yeah. I just don't want to throw up. And now having done it and having done a lot of other work where when I'm doing a lot of work in my meditations and things, I actually feel like vomiting, to be honest. That's when you know things are moving. That's the yes. good stuff. When you're like, yes. whoa, I don't feel well. This is yeah. amazing. This is something coming up to be released. So talk yeah. about, just talk about ayahuasca. And actually, let's just set this up as anybody who calls it drugs doesn't understand what it is. It's plant medicine. But talk about how it works with you and what yeah. you've gotten from ayahuasca because you have such experience with it. I do. Yeah. So, well, right. To your point, it is plant medicine. It is not a drug. Drugs are addictive. No matter how many times you drink ayahuasca, you cannot get addicted. And studies are being done all over the world about plant medicine and plant medicine journeys and science and studies have shown and proven that it actually can change your um, neurological pathways. It can help mm -hmm. you build new neurological pathways. And I work in the mental health field. This is what therapy does, but ayahuasca can do it in a weekend, in a month. Yeah. What therapy takes 20 years sometimes to do. So it's pivotal. It's life-changing. And gosh, for me, again, this is something that I had been researching for years, at least 10 years before it came to me. And so it is something that is medicine because it's not something that will come to you before you're ready for it. It comes in divine timing. And so again, I was in this dark night of the soul. I was packing up my house. I was you know, driving cross country in a U-Haul and teenage childhood friend who we were all Rastafarian when I was, you know, from 15 to 26, 28, I was part of the Rastafari movement. And a friend of mine was not. We were all. And then she was like, I'm going to go to the rainforest and drink this magical tea with these elders. And we were all just like, what is she doing? And so I went to her and I said, I need healing. And I have been, you know, called to ayahuasca many times, but never formally introduced, let's say. And I said, I need this in my life. And she was hesitant to, her path is the Santo Daimi. And it looks very Catholic, I would say, but is not because I am now, I earned my star in the Santo Daimi. And so this path, you don't have to belong to any religion to be part of the Santo Daimi. And, and we do hold mass, but we also bring in the Orishas and we bring in the Kabokus and the spirits of the rainforest. And it's very, very healing and in alignment with my lineage being, you know, African, indigenous, as well as having, you know, Spaniard and Portuguese colonizer blood in me. And so it very well heals the wounding that has been made there in my physical body in real time, but in my DNA. So back generations and forward generations, right? Beautiful. And so, yeah, so it, it's very magical in that way. But my journey did start out in traditional ayahuasca ceremonies by a fire outdoors, which is my path. My madrina was a Colombian woman mm. and yeah, I mean, brought to me by a friend ultimately. So, you know, my friend Jana, who went to the Amazon to study this medicine, ultimately did not bring me to the medicine in that moment. It was a few months later, a housemate of mine went and met this madrina and they said, hey, we want to open our house to offer this medicine every weekend to people in Miami. And I was like, okay, great. Let's do it. You know, I need some healing. I've been meaning to be formally introduced to this medicine. Let's do it. So I opened my home. We had ceremony every weekend and I started to drink medicine. And yeah, I, I mean, I have faced death. I have died. I have grieved. I have purged. I have really what I would say that this holy medicine has done for me is it's provided me increased self-awareness. It's like remote viewing. It lets me see myself in truth, harsh truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, yeah. the good, the bad, the ugly, right? And it lets me be really honest and brutally honest with myself in a way that is mostly uncomfortable for for the majority of 
societies, right? And so it's very humbling in that way because then after that moment, you can't re-enter life after ceremony in the same way. It just feels even more painful. And a lot of people ask me, well, because I live very whole, I, I, I confront life with my whole self and I do everything as me, no acting and, <clears throat> and not in a performative way. And people are like, oh, well, you must be very comfortable with confrontation. I'm like, no, it, I'm not comfortable with confrontation. But I know what the other thing is. I know what the performative acting is. And it became so painful that it has no place in my life at this point. It has to be the all and the everything of who I am. It ha everything I do has to resonate. It has to make sense on a soul level. If it doesn't, I can't do it. And so, you know, and there are points where I grapple just like anybody else. I'm human, you know, I'm not superhuman now because I drank this magical tea. Have to do what my heart and my soul and my higher self guide me to. Yes. And so I just have different tools, you know, a heightened toolbox, because like I said, I know the other thing. I know the inauthentic path and it, it hurts and it makes me literally sick. And so I know that if that brings sickness, <clears throat> I have to do the other thing that allows me to be whole and healed and healthy. Oh, so. something that struck me as you were talking is Ayahuasca just makes you tired of your hiding places, yeah. tired of your masks and tired of the charade. It's just, and I think people who've done a lot of therapy can relate to this, but it's the accelerated version. And I can relate to that where I would rather stay in. I have this physical aversion now to sort of shallow socializing interactions and just like, it's just so unsatisfactory. It literally makes me feel kind of sick. Yeah. Or draining. It'll drain your energy. It'll make you feel sick. It'll make you feel like not proud of yourself. Like yeah. I'll leave those moments and be like, what did I just do? What was that? I can't do that anymore. Let's make a note. Note to self, <laughs> right? Whatever that was, can't do that anymore, right? So you get bored. Do you get bored? Because I, I can feel yeah. my lips moving and, and I see myself saying something or doing something. And in the midst of it, I'm just like... I'm already bored with this. This is just yeah. so shallow. This is just so boring. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think it's something that is hard to explain, but having experienced it, it, yeah, I completely feel the truth of what you're saying, which is just, you can't live the same anymore. Yeah. And anybody who's done a lot of their deep inner work can relate. You just can't go back to that way of being. And it gets harder and harder and harder to imagine going back. And your body's like, no, 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 even more. Because, yeah. I mean... These medicines have been around for millennia. And I think that's the important thing to remember as, you know, people in the States, people in Europe discover, quote unquote, these things because, you know, ayahuasca has become more well-known, very popular. Lots of people take these as, you know, part of their, their practice, but right. it's not necessarily in touch with the roots of it. I mean, sort of the heritage of it, which it sounds like you have been well initiated into because. I, yeah, I've had yeah. some amazing teachers and I'm so thankful for that. I really feel blessed. And I think that, you know, what I would say is that the medicine is being discovered because it needs to be at this time. Mm -hmm. So more people have access so that the awakening and the healing can happen on a global stage. And also, we really need to know that this is an earth medicine that is being brought into urbanized spaces. Mm -hmm. And so being aware of how it's going to kind of hybrid your experience because if you're doing this medicine and you're in New York or you're in Chicago or you're in Miami, like I was, right? Like you need to understand that your guide, your teacher, your Thaita, medicine woman, medicine man, practitioner, shaman has to be somebody who is skilled and who can traverse this new terrain where it's, you know, indigenous medicine in an urban setting. And being able to make that make sense in the body so that people are held and they're safe, right? Yeah, well, yeah. That's, that's really important. 
And the aftercare. I'm glad you said that because there are so many people offering this now that I would just say to anybody listening to this who feels called by ayahuasca, because it does call you when you're ready, you'll know. (laughs) But really do your research and make sure that you know that the person who's in charge of it, I mean, ideally, they come from that lineage or they're very experienced. And the people I've done it with, there's always a trained psychotherapist on staff and you do integration every morning. You sit as a group and integrate because one of the issues I take is when people go do it and then they just kind of get set loose without any sort of aftercare because it's the beginning of a journey. It's not a thing you do and then you're like, well, that was a nice retreat. It's the beginning of changes in your brain, changes in the way you see everything. And you need to be able to have somebody to support you in understanding that or at least just navigating it because you may never understand it because that's not what it's about. It's about just being different and revealing things to yourself and revealing yourself to yourself. So I just want to say that to anybody listening, like, you know, make sure if you do choose to do ayahuasca or any of these plant medicines that you know who is guiding it because they need to be someone that you feel safe with. Definitely. Know how to steer this bus because it's pretty incredible. And done well, it's even more incredible. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm actually also really interested in talking about because you talked about how, you know, you hold all these lineages in yourself, colonizer and colonized. And yeah, how do you hold those things within yourself in your DNA? Because if anybody knows about epigenetics, we inherit trauma, we inherit it's passed along to us in our DNA. So we wear that in our bodies. Yeah. And in our own DNA, which we then pass along. So, what riches and perspective does that bring you and what healing has that brought you to? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely been a journey, you know, just being in my skin and existing in the way that I look, it it was a lot. So yeah, my father, you know, we'll talk lineage. So my father is a hundred percent African from West Africa. My mother is 10% Taino Indian, 20% Maghreb, which is a tribe of people in the north uh, part of Africa, and 70% Portuguese and Spaniard. And so that is my full lineage. I am the lightest skinned tone person in my family. Out of my cousins, my sister doesn't even look like me. She's darker than me. And it's been hard. And and I don't want to say that because I'm you know, I need sympathy or I need coddling. It's been hard in a good way. It's been a a teacher, right, to be in this body. And because, you know, I have been the token Black girl, right? Like, oh, her hair is nice enough. Her skin is light enough. She speaks proper enough. She can be the token Black girl of the group of white girls, right? So I, I was that. I was also, you know, the Spanish girl who didn't speak Spanish. I was raised by my Black father, you know, at a time where that was rare. And so I didn't grow up with my Puerto Rican family speaking Spanish. I lived in Costa Rica for many years and learned Spanish from being immersed in the Spanish-speaking culture. But so, yeah, you know, I was kind of rejected, right? By like Puerto Ricans, like, oh, you're la negra is what they would call me, the Black girl, right? And the white girls would be like, oh, she's cute enough, right? And then the Black girls were like, well, you're not Black enough, right? You are light-skinned, therefore you're privileged, you have quote-unquote good hair. And none of that was true. I have been discriminated against from the time that I was young. I remember being a little girl and being with my father in Boston, Massachusetts. We didn't have a car and we lived in Cambridge and we wanted to get downtown and He ordered a cab over the phone and he's a well-spoken black man. And the guy drove up and said, oh, I didn't know you were black. I wouldn't have come if you were black. You're not getting in my car and drove away. And then, you know, there were the times where I was on South Beach as a 20 year old clubbing and, you know, Cubans throwing glass bottles at me, like having to run from them. calling me the N-word and things like that. And then there were, you know, Black girls who said I wasn't Black enough to be their friend because I have a privileged life because for a lot of reasons, that is true that, you know, lighter skinned folks have a more, they have it quote unquote easier. And then there was my, you know, my adult life 
having to navigate the medical complex, the medical industrial complex and being, you know, with an autoimmune issue and white doctors accusing me of, you know, drug seeking. And so when I'm like largely and and unfortunately um, allergic to pain medication, so they don't help, (laughs) just FYI. And so You know, I never got a break. Apartments have been taken away from me or have not been afforded to me because of who I am. And so living in this juxtaposition of like all of these things, right? I had to create my own lane. I had to create my own. My group of people are eclectic and spaces where I feel safe and comfortable are eclectic. And I think that that's, you know, this is something that I learned early, but I think it's something that people are leaning it more into now that, you know, the cookie cutter isn't fitting, right? And, you know, confronting their own biases and and prejudices in these areas. So for me, there was a lot of trauma. And then there was you know, a lot of healing around all of this. And I think that embracing myself is the first domino to tip in like the domino effect of healing the generational trauma that exists within my DNA, right? Being othered, being ostracized, being, you know, not good enough, too much of this, too little of that is something that the colonizer did, right? Like, you know, Black people were not seen as good enough. We're not seen as human. And so I combat that (laughs) in just by living, right? Just by being here, that is me saying, you know, that is not a truth because I'm here because our blood mixed, like I'm here, I'm a product of this intermingling, you know, and I'm going to, for better or worse, I'm going to expose that for all that it is, the, the love that existed, the hatred that existed. And I want to you know, neutralize that in a way that is healthy and healing and truthful. Uh, That's so beautiful because, I mean, for Christmas, I got my parents to buy me a DNA test and I'm going to do that shortly. But we are all from all of these sources. You know, we all at some point were the source of either conflict or juxtaposed identities. And it's just the nature of human evolution. And we just sort of Pin that on others as a reason to oppress others, and right. to discriminate. But it's beautiful how I love, and I wanted to ask about this because I knew how you would put this so beautifully, is healing past generational wow. traumas through just being who you are, being like yeah. this skin color, this skin of mine is a fucking Ferrari. It's beautiful. It's exactly what it's meant to be. And yes, you have been you know, discriminated against, but also you have an opportunity to heal because of all those pieces of you that have come together to make Eurasia. But I love that so much because we all have generational trauma that we don't even know we carry. Right. And being able to dive into that, it's brave because it's big work. And so what does that mean? It means that every time you have a trigger, right, to really retrace or, or, or follow the breadcrumbs back to the origin of that trigger and really kind of, you know, unpack that in a subconscious, you know, bringing the darkness to the light, subconscious to conscious way, unconscious to conscious way. And being able to do that is, again, you know, right, the discomfort mm-hmm. of, of that process and allowing ourselves space to do that in whatever process it looks like for each one of us, right, in whatever way it looks, right, crying, being angry, being sad, writing, you know, going on a retreat, walking, running, whatever it takes to like really bring things to the surface so that you're not acting from the shadow aspect of it all. Yeah. And what's interesting, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I feel very, very connected to my grandmothers, especially Mm -hmm. on my mother's side. And the interesting Mm -hmm. thing is one was the mother-in-law and one was the daughter-in-law and they did not love each other. But I was very connected to both of them. What I realized is I actually don't know a lot about them, but I have inherited their patterns. And I look like my grandmother on my mother's side. And I talk like, you know, you always end up sounding like certain family members through, even if you hadn't known them, you have this vocal quality. So you're connected to ancestors in ways you don't necessarily know and aren't conscious of. But the more I sort of sit with, what am I here to heal from my family? Yeah. What am I here to 
break the patterns of? Because, you know, I know a bit of family history going back a few generations, but there's so much that I don't know. But you don't need to know it to heal it because it's in you. It's well, you. That's, that's, so if you just sit with that and let it come up to be healed, it can be. And, you know, you might want to process it through writing or just sit with it in meditation or maybe do something like a plant medicine, an ayahuasca retreat. It will find you. It will come up because if it's your path to heal, it will come up for you. So I don't know if this is resonating with anybody who's listening. I hope it is. I imagine it is. But if any of this does land with you, please do get in touch because this is something that there are so many of us doing this work. You're not alone. And it's no. important work. It's Which, big work. Yeah. It's where we are collectively right now, isn't it? I would love to hear your thoughts on sort of where are we right now in terms of yeah. trauma and environmental and social breakdown and this pandemic and yeah. where are we headed and what still needs to be broken and what's beautiful about this? Yeah. Man, so there is this movie called Midnight Special, and it is about this child who is born to parents in this dimension, but he's from an alternate dimension. Mm -hmm. And at the end, you get to see this beautiful dimension that is like right on top of, on the side of our dimension. And there is this like beautiful city. And I always think of that when people talk about new earth, new age, age of Aquarius, things like that. These are buzzwords these days. And so really quick touching on that buzzwords, right? Like I just want to impress upon people that this is necessary. We have these archetypal energies in order to give us hope to get to the next phase of a thing. And so to not Invest all of your money, your time, your energy, your thought, your spirit source energy into this, you know, oh, this new earth, right? So I'm going to get the right clothes for it and I'm going to, you know, what I think, look the part, act the part. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's spiritual bypassing. So let's not do that. Yeah. Let's, let's really say, like, well, what is this thing, right? Because it really is an archetype when you do the research about, you know, New Earth and Age of Aquarius, right? These are archetypal themes that have um, not been around for very long, actually, that we need to get us through, right? Like, it's going to be okay. We're in the dark night of the soul and there's the, the light at the end of the tunnel, the new age, right? Um, this collective dark night of the soul that we are currently in, which is why we're talking. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, just being aware of that. And so what does this mean? It just simply means that we're not living in the one-size-fits-all world anymore, right? There are many of us, many expressions, and let's embrace that. We're not all the same. We don't do the same. I can't speak for every Latina woman. I can't speak for every Black woman. I can only speak from my experience as a unique divine being through my sovereignty, right? Through mm -hmm. claiming that. and so. That's what it is, right? Claiming our sovereignty, claiming our unique imprint and living from that. And what you see right now, I, I encourage everybody to live from a place of the heart, live from a place of finding your inner peace because the fear mongering can be really, really big right now. And it can kind of take you off track and get you caught up in this, yeah, in fear. And yeah. that can feed off of you. And I want to make it really clear that the old, it's already died. It's gone. We are in the process of composting, right? We're in the process of the leaves have fallen. They are at the root of the tree, but they haven't quite composted yet, right? They're in a stage of like being. They're still, quote unquote, present in a form that looks somewhat familiar, right? So it's we like a see them. They're there. Like, yeah. yeah. It's like a projection or a hologram. And they want to buy into the fact that they're still here, right? So they grab you through fear. And so that they can still be relevant, whatever the they is to you, quote unquote, right? That thing that grabs you and riddles you with fear, it wants to stay relevant. And the only way it can do that is through an energetic imprint. And they can do that through fear and hooking you in through fear. 
Uh, Systems of power, old ways of getting power. pleasure, old way of feeling, reassured. All of the things, right? Consumerism, politics, yeah. yeah. Politics, all of it, yeah. Our structures of power that are long gone, actually, they've fallen off the tree, right? And also, the new is here, right? The structure is here. If visioning is a way to also get you to buy in, right? And so visioning, not through fear, but through the lens of the new and how we can create heart-based business, how we can live through our authenticity, how we can be more of our, our true authentic selves so that our soul's path becomes apparent and we can follow that. So I think we're, I mean, there is a lot of chaos there. And I'm not trying to spiritually bypass that and say, oh, love and light it away, right? <laughs> there is chaos. There are things happening. Those are real things, but they're happening for a reason. They're happening to seed the change, right? Like what has happened since this quote unquote pandemic, right? People, let's talk about mental health, right? Mm. It's anxiety and depression are at an all time high. Why is that? Why? Because people cannot fill themselves with happy hour after work. And then you go to your girlfriend's house and you, you know, talk some crap for a while about the people at work. And then you go home and you're, I don't know, buying a new outfit for that thing this weekend. And then you see what I'm saying? So yeah. it's this cyclical energy of going, 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 and you don't stop to be with yourself. When people have had to stop and be with themselves, and many people are not happy with what they see, they don't like their lives, they want to get out of the job, they want to get out of the relationship, they realize that they have been disconnected from their children, that they um, want to parent differently, they're realizing that they want to make change. And so then it is this dark night of the soul and it causes, you know, anxiety and depression. And those are real things that people are dealing with. And I say what Gabor Mate, who I love, says. Oh, I love him. Yes. He says, better out than in. Yeah, exactly. Better out than in. Because somebody, he said that at a seminar where somebody was like, well, what if you have a bad experience, quote unquote, bad experience with plant medicine? He says, well, if you have to confront something that's really dark and you know, um, hard to deal with, better out than in. It's out of you now. It's yeah. out, right? It's and always been in there. Better it's to in there. face it and let it go. Yeah, exactly. Better to face it. So get the help you need. Talk to somebody. Build, you know, friendships, containers, spaces, groups where people can really see and hold your dignity, right? And so where they're not going to shame you, where they're not going to guilt trip you, but where your dignity as a just sim simply existing, no labels. Somebody who was birthed and lives on this planet, right? Um, where people can hold you in that light and in that space and where you can exist authentically, right? So it starts small. It starts within your community. It starts on your block. It starts, you know, in these small spaces that will grow and grow because it's like dominoes tipping. It's like, you know, people talk about collective consciousness, right? The age of Aquarius cannot be born. Can The new earth cannot be born unless enough people consent to it. You know, energetically positive entities, light beings, you know, higher selves, spirit, God, universe, source, earth, Gaia cannot make any change unless we all consent because they operate through consent. And so we all have to buy into it collective conscious wise. And how does that happen? It happens in each one of us, in our day-to-day -day lives, in our communities, in our families, right? So when enough of us say, yeah, that old way is not working for me anymore, for whatever reason, your reasons are not my reasons, right? But for whatever reason, it's not working for you anymore because it doesn't hold all of who you are with dignity. Mm -hmm. Then you start to create the spaces where that does happen. And then there's a domino effect and a trickling down where that happens bigger and bigger and bigger out into the universe, out into, you know, the expanse. And then we have something new once we all consent to it.
once we all say something of how this thing that we do called life was operating before is not working for me, then we all can do that in a way that is quote unquote new, new earth, right? And as we're doing that, we're living it, we're walking it, right? Then it can happen. And so that's where I think we're, we're at. We're in this place of discomfort and we are in this place of the things that we see, you know, potentially grabbing us through fear. And how do we combat that through our therapists, through our families, through if none of those can are afforded to you, ayahuasca, through plant medicine, through talking, through journaling, through creating the spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Finding your tribe, finding people who are of like mind. Yeah, and also just through finding joy because you could get dragged down by fear, but that's actually not what you need and it's not what the collective needs because not only does it harm you physically, it harms your immune system, it harms your mental health, but also then we send out that energy to others. And it's like I use this metaphor all the time for various things. When I learned to mountain bike and ski, you don't look at the thing you're trying not to hit. You look at the line you want to take. You choose your line. So if we want to live in a world that doesn't create fear for us, that doesn't create oppression of other people, you need to start to think about what that looks like. But also, I just want to say to anybody listening, come as you are. Like you talked about spiritual bypassing. You don't have to buy the outfit. You don't have to go on the retreats. You don't have to start doing yoga. Come as you are and find the things that bring you joy, that allow you to step into that optimism about the future because you're creating it with your own energy and your own life. You don't have to go live in an eco-village. In fact, I would say, please don't. Don't retreat to a bubble. Yes. Go to your community and help them live more sustainably in a way that doesn't hurt the earth and society. But yeah, yeah, calm as you are, because I think there's been a lot of harm done by this idea that you have to sign up to a dogma or a lifestyle or only doing this kind of yoga or only doing it in Sanskrit. Or, you know, it's like, meh. I came out of a very strictly religious background and I don't want to go back to that because I see right. how it constricts people. So find your freedom and find it in a way that it invites other people yeah. to feel free and to be able to be authentically themselves. You've said that a few times and I love that. I also yeah. love what you said earlier about embracing yourself as the key to healing, the domino, the first domino. And you said that basically again, which is Yeah, just start the domino effect because then we create this collective, we talk about collective consciousness, you don't have to say collective consciousness, but this collective energy, this collective hope, this collective vibe that just says, no, I'm not going to live in fear. I am not going to freak out and separate myself because I'm just so freaked out that everybody's going to give me COVID or we're sliding into totalitarianism or... "Mm." That's the death gasps of old ways trying to remain relevant. Right. And yeah. you can choose not to be part of that. You can choose to reject that fear. And I promise it will be better for everyone and yourself. Yeah. yeah. And coming as you are is so huge because that's what I did. I didn't just wake up one day and here I am, you know, it was like I'm scared Mm-hmm. I don't know what the next step is, but I know I can't be there. I know I can't yeah. do that. I know I can't live in fear. So I'm going to follow the breadcrumbs. I'm going to one step at a time, one day at a time. And that's how we find our authenticity. So many people ask me like, well, how do you live authentically? And I'm like, well, what feels good? And I don't mean feeling good regardless of how it lands on others, right? Mm-hmm. I mean what brings, like you said, what brings you joy? What feels good? What feels healthy? Right. Mm. So again, yeah, it's not about, you know, oh, I eat organic and I do yoga and I'm going to the retreat in Costa Rica. Like that's a whole nother elitist system. That's right. Like we're going to this indigenous land and we're living better than the locals. We are buying the name brand yoga clothing, but we're starving our bodies to fit into it. Or or it was made in a sweatshop. That's what it was made in a sweatshop. Right. Or it was made in a sweatshop. And and the fashion industry is like one of the most unhealthy for the earth. Oh yeah. Um, So buy secondhand clothing people. (laughs) Exactly. Or just don't buy anything. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Have like a capsule uh wardrobe. 
Or, you know, but yeah, or eating organically, but like not thinking about where your food comes from and is it ethically sourced and, you know, all of these things. So, you know, that's what I say about digging in deeper so that what you do is healthy, so that it feels good on every level, body, mind, soul, right? Spirit. Mm -hmm. So that it, when you are you know, following the breadcrumbs, taking these steps day by day, that you are doing so in a way that is all of you, right? That it kind of excites all of the senses. You're learning new things. You are thinking in different ways. You are going to new places. And it's just like a childlike curiosity. Like, Mm. I don't know, right, what's going to happen tomorrow, but I do know what I can do today. I know how I can live. I know how I can approach things. And I want to do that in a holistic way. And it's so much fun if you let it be, because it's almost like a game and it's complex and it's messy, especially when you start to look at the impact of your life. Because, you know, I spent my career doing this and being like, oh boy, you know, vegan leather is my favorite one to be like, okay, so you're either going to wear animal leather or you're going to wear something made out of plastic that came from petroleum, you know, like the offsets. You're just like, okay, so I'm going to be vegan, but I'm going to eat cashews, which we won't even get into what that does to people who harvest them. Or I'm going to get into quinoa, which then drives up the price for indigenous people who relied on it as a staple crop. So there's no easy way to do this. And I've said this for a while, being an ethical consumer becomes more and more and more complex. The more you know, the more you realize there are no easy answers and there's no yeah. perfect. <laughs> but well, just and that's why I think try. That. Yeah. Try yeah. moderation, trying being aware and doing the best you can. This is not an exact science. This is yeah. where do you feel that you are like, okay, this is where I can be with all of this. This is what feels good. Knowing everything and all the pieces and all the, right, this is the best that I can do where I'm at right now. I also really think, I was listening recently to Aubrey Marcus's podcast and he was talking to a guy named Matias Stefano, and they were talking about, he, he can see and has since he was a child, like other dimensions and he understands himself as a timeless being. And it's pretty incredible. Everybody should listen to that. I'll put it in the show notes. But they were talking about how so many people who want to do the right thing and be enlightened and aware kind of seek to transcend being human. When actually like this body we're in, we're meant to be human, which means actually to be human is to be capable of failure. And that's glorious because we're having this real messy, earthy experience in this incredible body that is beautiful and unique. So like, don't think you have to escape. I think that, you know, people refer to it as a meat suit. That is just, I think I said earlier, but yeah, we're all, you're driving a Ferrari. Enjoy it. (laughs) I, I think of my body as divine technology. I think it is divine technology. And that's what I work with. You know, it's funny that you said like seeing dimensions. And I too, you know, am in touch with my starseed family and I can see other dimensions and I'm a channel and a medium and all of these things. And also I am human. I am completely 100% thankfully human. I agreed and consented to this experience. I don't teach, you know, when we're talking about the chakras and the aura, right? Like so many people in the spiritual community focus on like the higher chakras. And in my experience, you know, as a practitioner, the higher chakras are usually fine. It's the lower chakras that need help. So I'm like, Mm. you know, embodiment, embodiment is the key. Don't disassociate because the energy up there is so amazing and great, stay connected to the body, yeah. right? Be in the body and hold more light. Mm-hmm. That's what we need to do is, is the light comes into the body. The light expands the body, right? And so embodiment is the key. Embodiment is where we want to get to, right? And in order to hold more light, we have to do the work. We have to do the healing. We have to find all the places where the trauma is sitting, hiding, waiting, and we have to call it out and work on it, right? Yeah. Well, and also you can't sculpt with your brain, your higher chakras. It's, we need to be fully embodied in all of the ways we mind. I remember a few years ago, I was really, really intensely meditating a lot. It was as I was going through a divorce and it was a very tough time. And I was having a really great time in my meditation, but I was just so up in the air. You know, I was sort of like, 
communing with my spirit guides and seeing things. And it was quite exciting. But at the same time, my very wise therapist, who's also quite shamanic and comes from a shamanic tradition, Colombian and Lebanese. Hey, Shadia, I hope you're listening. I love it. But her advice was, babe, stop being so up there. Go do something totally earthy. Go get drunk with your friend. <laughs> I yeah. Like, I love that that was her wise advice. It's one of the most spiritual beings I know. It's just like, you need to get out of like the being up there in the higher yeah, realms. It's, yeah, it's escapism. It's escapism. Yeah. Anything, yeah. anything can be a drug. Anything can be overused, overdone, you know, and that's what people are doing, you know, spiritual bypassing, escaping yeah. light, love and light, right? Good and vibes only. Yeah. Vibes only. Yeah. And I'm no stinking thinking. And I'm like, well, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. let's follow that. Let's let's allow it because, you know, in my work, the more that you push something from the midline, the more you push it out of, you know, nope, that's not me. That's not who I am. I don't do that. And it's like the louder it gets because it is a part of you that you are denying that you actually, if you bring it into center, bring it into the heart, love it, it will calm down. It's like a flare up for folks out there who have autoimmune disorders like I do. It's like the flare up is what does your body need? What is it saying? What is that part of you saying? What does it need? You know, what is it speaking to? Listen to its voice. Follow the breadcrumbs. It will lead you to a place of increased self-awareness and healing. And that is a discomfort practice because spiritual bypassing is trying to never feel anything hard. Yeah. And, and often that ends up using niceness as a tool of oppression to keep people from fighting with you or disagreeing with you. Or we will not get started on how it can be used as a tool of privilege and oppression because that is a whole other conversation. But yeah, the path is often sitting in the shit, sitting in the discomfort, because it's not going to be forever. That's part of the practice. Yeah. That's part of the being human. And that's part of the beauty. I mean, we talked about dark night of the soul and you can't avoid the dark nights of the soul if you want to get anywhere good. Yeah. That is how we are born into this world. Literally, you're pushed out of your comfy You got fed every day and grown and it was safe and you get pushed out of the birth canal and you might you're probably scared as a baby being born. You don't know if you're going to survive it and you might not. Right. But it's necessary to push you into this life. So good. So, yeah. yeah, it's all right. Well, I am totally going to have to have you back because we have just <laughs> gotten started. And I still want to ask you about Palo Cambisa, but that's going to have to be next time yeah. because I would love to have you back to talk about just this sort of the beauty of this systems and these syncretisms and the mix of cultures because we also haven't touched on things like cultural appropriation oh, and yoga uh, and the wellness uh, industry and again that's a different episode but but a, a grid one <laughs> uh, a necessary one sure i say as a white yoga teacher you know sitting in my very nice apartment in barcelona but let's have that conversation you're already invited uh, back. i would love that well, are there any final thoughts you would like to leave people with about where we are, about dark nights of the soul, about what to look at to choose their line? Because there's no going back. All we can do is go forward. So yeah, what to leave people with. I would just like to say, don't overcomplicate it. You know, it's like when we approach something new, it's like, well, we grapple with it and how and what and, you know, okay, I'm going to do it this way and that way. And it's like, you know, at the end of it, you're just like, oh, I give up. It's just so tiring to figure it out because there's nothing to figure out. It will do the thing it needs to do inside of you. And all you have to do is surrender to it. Right. And that's the way through to follow your path, to choose your line. That's just surrendering. And I truly mean surrendering because, gosh, that's an overused buzzword as well. And, and it's one that even I have like, well, what is, you know, grappled with? What is real surrender? And it's that moment where you're just like, wow, this is really uncomfortable. And I'm just going to sit with it. There's nothing I need to do in this now moment. But just cry, grieve, grieve the life I had, grieve the knowingness that I thought was truth. Just sit and just ugh, be uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for sticking with me in our scheduling hoo-ha to be here. 
I'm so grateful for your time. And I am grateful to have gotten to dive so deep with you. And that is the beauty of knowing souls who are part of the same, we're, we're heading the same direction. We've done a lot of the work and we can just hold hands and dive deep together. So yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Raja. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for getting uncomfortable with me. If you enjoyed this episode, follow and like The Discomfort Practice wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave me a five-star and written review and share this with other people. Help me to reach new audiences with this idea that consciously practicing discomfort helps us to individually and collectively discover our superpowers and create a society and a planet where everyone can thrive. Thank you so much to my guests all season. Go back and listen to a few more episodes to hear more of them. They are wonderful humans doing amazing things in the world. Thanks to my team who helped me produce this podcast. And for those who inspire me through their writing, their conversation, and their support. So that's all from me for now. Follow me on Instagram at the Betsy Reed if you want to get to know me a bit better, some of my thoughts. And in the meantime, stay uncomfortable.